Let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. We're on the fourth miracle of John's Gospel. This is the center one of the seven before the cross. There were three that showed us how to be saved. The last three before the cross, five, six, and seven, shows us the results of salvation. And this center one, the feeding of the 5,000, shows us human instrumentality of salvation. I'd like to get you in your minds to remember some of the details that we're studying on this little sheet of paper. First of all, how many miracles are there total in John's Gospel? Eight? Okay. How many in Matthew and Mark and Luke? What does John's Gospel teach us? How to be saved? What does the epistle of John teach us? How we know we're saved. Okay. And uh, we know that we've studied the first three miracles that show us how to be saved. And if you have your chart there, just look at it. It says, turning water into wine teaches us salvation through the Word. Because we taught that the water was symbolical of the Word of God. And when that, when that water was poured into those earthen vessels, symbolical of the human heart, and vessels of stone, by the way, stony hearts, uh, Jesus miraculously turned that water into wine. And wine is symbolical of the joy of salvation. So he mysteriously and miraculously showed us that that miracle teaches salvation is through the Word of God. And then the healing of the nobleman's son teaches us that salvation is by faith. Remember the nobleman, he wanted Jesus to come down. He says, come down there, my son die, child die. And Jesus said, except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. He says, go thy way, thy son liveth. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke, didn't he? And he went his way and his son was living. So we find that salvation is through the word of God. Then we find the third miracle, the curing of the Bethesda paralytic in John chapter 5, that it teaches us salvation by grace because Jesus approached this man and said, Wilt thou be made whole? out of a multitude of impotent folk. So he, His grace was shed upon this one individual person. Salvation is by grace. You might say, well, why didn't He heal all the others? He could have healed everyone there if He had so chosen. But if you remember in our lesson when we studied it Sunday night, we taught how that uh, at this particular time they were all waiting for the moving of the water. Maybe many of them were trying to find some other way to be saved. But this man found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Just like in the days of Noah, it says Noah, there's a lot of people in the world in Noah's day. But it says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so it shows us salvation is by grace. Now then, when we come to this miracle that we're studying tonight, we're going to see that though it is by the Word of God, and though it is by, well, the first three miracles tells us that salvation is by the Word, and it's by faith, and it's by the... Great by grace, this fourth miracle teaches us the human element in the plan of salvation. And although we're saved by grace, sovereign grace, He has also chosen that this salvation is to be brought to men and women and boys and girls by other people, by others. That we're the instruments of it. God could have sent angels down from heaven, especially in chariots of fire, so to speak, or in any way He wanted to. God is all-powerful. But He chose men 
to give the message of salvation to other men. Men, women, boys, and girls. He chose you and I to be the instruments of salvation. He's the only one that can save. But we're to, just like the servants in the turning of the water into wine, were to pour the water into those earthen vessels, so are we to be instruments now in this miracle of the, in the sixth chapter of John of dispensing the bread of life. Christ is the bread of life. And here, He's going to feed a multitude with uh, five barley loaves and two small fishes. And we're going to see all the way through this miracle, the human element in the plan of salvation. And that's what this fourth miracle is all about. I want you to notice, and we'll just take it verse by verse as we go along, and I believe by the time we get through expounding it, you'll see, and then we'll make some more comments that would help us to understand that it is the human element of salvation in the plan of salvation. That you and I are to be instruments. We're to be servants. Just like in the first miracle, the servants were to do the work of pouring the water uh, into the empty vessels here so the disciples and others are involved in giving the bread, dispensing the bread of life. All right? And let's look at verse 1. We're just going to expound it as we go along. It says in verse 1, After these things Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. So it's called the Sea of Galilee, and it's also called the Sea of Tiberias. In Mark chapter 6 and verse 53 it's spoken of as Gennesaret. I, I never have been able to pronounce that right. G-E-N-N-E-S-A-R-E-T. Gennesaret, I guess, is the way you pronounce it. Gennesaret. G. G? Yeah. Gennesaret. Okay. And then in Luke chapter 5 and verse 1, you'll see again it speaks of the lake. It came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. So there you have it again. And it's called a lake here. The other place in uh, Mark 6, verse 53, it's called the land of Gennesaret. Now then, uh, actually it's a place, it's a little village, and if you look on the map, Tiberias and Gennesaret are both on the, I would say, the east side of the Sea of Galilee, some seven or eight miles apart, if you have a map in the back of your Bible, you can see that both of them are actually uh, there on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. So it has all these various names. But anyway, verse 2, chapter 6, verse 2, And a great multitude follow Him. Now I want you to notice this. Because they saw His miracles which He did on them that were diseased. You know, there's a lot of people just like the uh, noblemen. They wanted to see miracles. And they, the reason that this great multitude was following Jesus is because they saw the miracles that He did. Jesus said to the nobleman, except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So some people had to see signs or miracles. You know we have people today that will not believe without a miracle. But God says that we're to believe. Take Him at His word. You don't have to see a miracle to believe. In fact, Jesus said during His ministry, He says, a wicked and an adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And he says, there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he says, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, or the great fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He says, in other words, the only miracle or sign that I'm going to give this wicked generation is my death and burial and resurrection. 
That's what Jesus was saying. If you want a miracle to latch on to, take the miracle of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection in, his, in the Word of God, and that's sufficient. So anyway, verse 3 now says, And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there He sat with His disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. So it tells the season of the year. It was Passover season. And in verse 5, When Jesus then lifted up His eyes and saw a great company come unto Him, He saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? I want you to notice this. Jesus is laying the responsibility and sharing the responsibility with His disciples. And He says to Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? If you have Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 37, it's the same miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 in Mark's Gospel. I want you to notice what it says here in Mark. 6, verse 37, He answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. So much the same thing. When they were hungry in Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, Jesus says, Give ye them to eat. You give them something to eat. In our passage we're studying in John, He says, Whence shall we buy bread that these made? Now this shows us human instrumentality. This shows us human responsibility to feed this multitude. However it's going to be done, Jesus knew what He was going to do, and He knew how to feed them. In fact, Jesus, you know, he, He's the Creator of all things. He turned that water into wine that takes a process of time. Immediately. Uh, he can create anything He wants to. And He fed the children of Israel 40 years with manna from heaven. He fed... He caused the widow's oil in the barrel. Remember the oil in the Old Testament in the Kings? The widow's oil. She had a little oil in in the, the cruise and a little meal in the barrel. And He caused this not to fail throughout all the, the drought and all the famine. And then He sent Elijah to another place and fed him by the ravens at one time. They brought him the food. Not very appetizing, but they did anyway. I, I can't feature me wanting to eat something the raven had in his mouth and brought over there, but anyway, God worked it out where Elijah was fed anyway. So... Uh, God is able to... And here He says, but what does He say here? Jesus didn't say, bring this multitude here, now I'm going to, I'm going to feed them, uh, I'm going to multiply bread and I'm going to feed them. He says, when shall we buy bread? The Bible says, we are laborers together, what? With God. Right? That's 1 Corinthians 3 verse 9. So when we labor, as Christians, we're laborers together with God. When shall we buy bread? Jesus would try Philip's faith. Look at verse uh, 6. And this He said to prove him, for He Himself knew what He would do. Jesus knew what He would do. I mean, He had the answer before He even asked Philip anything about buying bread. He knew what He would do. But this was to prove him. This He said to what? Prove him. This was to test him. This was to find out if Philip had any idea of how he would take care of this situation. Here's a hungry multitude. 5,000. Uh, Matthew's Gospel tells us, let me see if I can find it, in the same miracle, chapter 14, verse 20, 21 says, And they that had eaten were about 5,000 men beside women and children. Matthew's Gospel tells us there were more than 5,000. There were 5,000 men beside women and children. So we don't know how many was in that multitude. 
And Matthew gives us that insight on the feeding of the 5,000. Now then, uh, we know that Philip was being tested. He wanted to prove his love. Did he love this multitude like Jesus loved them? Do you and I love the multitudes, the hungry multitudes for the Word of God, the bread of life, like Jesus loves them? He wants us at least to get a part of that love that He has for, for those that are outside, those that need Him. And furthermore, He wanted to move His heart to sympathy. Sometimes you and I become very hard, don't we? Our hearts just kind of naturally become hard. And say, well, let that other guy take care of himself. No, God wants us to be compassionate. The Bible says Jesus was moved with compassion. This is Matthew 9, another incident. When he saw them scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd, I believe it's beginning with about verse 36 through 39 or somewhere. It says Jesus was moved with compassion on them, the multitude, because they were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. What, what moved him to compassion? Not only that they were faint and they needed food, but they were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. They had no one to lead them. It was more than just the food, food element there in Matthew 9. The last several verses of that chapter. You might check it. I think it's verse 36 through 39 or something like that. But anyway, you'll find that Jesus was concerned not only about their physical food, but as sheep having no shepherd. They had no one to guide them in other instances. So, He wants to move us and move our heart to sympathy. We need to pray that God will give us a tender heart and a loving heart and a caring heart. Every one of us. We need to pray that we will not just be self-concerned, but we will be concerned. It says every man seek the other man's welfare or wealth or well-being. Not just his own. And you and I can be instruments for other people if we will be. But Jesus wants to prove it. When shall we buy bread? And it did prove Philip also and the other disciples. We're going to see what happened as we progress with the story. Look in verse 6 again. And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Now what does Philip say in verse 7? Philip answered him, Two hundred pennyworth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. Two hundred pennyworth. Daenerys. It's equal to about a day's wage in those days. And 200 would be about, if you work six days a week, it would be about eight months' wages that it would take to just every one of them. What did he say? That every one of them may have a little. It would take one man working eight months, six days a week, and then he would have to save every dime he had. Of course, he, he, you got to live eight months too, don't you? I mean, it might take a very long time to save that much and have that much extra to buy and feed this great multitude. So, he says 200... Jesus didn't say, how much money will it take? He said, whence? He said, where are we going to buy it? Whence shall we buy bread that these made? And Philip, of course, was concerned about how much money it would take, even if it was available. That'd be a lot of bread, even if you had the money, wouldn't it? So... Uh, Philip said, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. Now notice what it says. One of his disciples, Andrew, Andrew is very important, Simon Peter's brother, and by the way, it's brought out that he's Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him. Now what does Andrew have to say? 
Did you know we only find him mentioned another time? Look in the first chapter of John. First chapter of John. Let's read verse 38 through 40. Or 41. 38 through 41. Then Jesus turned and saw them falling and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? Where do you dwell? He saith unto them, Come and see. You know, sometimes we want to know where the Lord dwells. We need to come and see. And it's more than just the actual place where He lays His head. Where does He dwell as far as His life, His whole dwelling, His person? Where dwellest thou? Come and see. Come live with me a little bit. Come find out how I do. Okay? They came and saw where He dwelt and abode with Him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed Him was what? Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. Let's read verse 42. And he brought him to Jesus. That's what we need. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He was responsible for bringing Simon Peter, that great one of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, close to Jesus. But Andrew was responsible for what? His little human instrumentality of bringing his own brother to Jesus. And we find that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 souls were saved. But you don't hear anything about Andrew. In fact, this place in John is the only other place, I believe, if you check it out, that you find Andrew even mentioned. And here he's doing the same thing. He's going to be involved in being a human instrument, very lowly, very simple, very unheralded. Uh, not a lot of headlines he makes. Not a lot of splash. You know, a lot of people make a big splash. You ever seen divers on these high boards in the contests, high diving? The poorest dive you can make is when you make a big splash. Isn't that right? The best dive is when you hardly see the water move when you enter it. Andrew, he wasn't the kind that was looking for headlines or glory. It says, look, now notice the story. Always hold where where we're looking. John chapter 6. One of his disciples, verse 8, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him. You know, Andrew says, I've got a suggestion here. I don't know what it'll amount to. There's a little boy here. It says, There's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? I do know where there's a little bit of food, but you know, it's just just a speck of food compared to what we need. But it's worth mentioning. You know, the little that we have sometimes can be very important. When we see what Jesus does with the, the five barley loaves and two small fishes, That will leave no excuse for any one of us to complain about how little talent we have or how little little ability we have to do the Lord's work. The Bible says, listen, that God is able, I believe this is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, possibly verse 9. It says, but God is able to make all grace abound toward you, listen carefully, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound unto every good work. God is able to what? Make all grace abound toward you. That you can always, 
in all sufficiency, have, having all sufficiency, may abound unto every good work. Sometimes we think we cannot do anything. We can do what God wants us to do if we're willing to be instruments and willing to be used. And every one of us here tonight, listen, man and woman, we saw about Philip and Andrew, didn't we? But what about the little boy? He had to be willing to give up his lunch. What about young people in God's service? Very, very important, aren't they? Very important. Because they can do things sometimes that none of the rest of us can do. Philip didn't have any bread. Neither did Andrew. Neither did any of the disciples. But this little boy brought his lunch. Five barley loaves and two small fishes. They claim they're just little loaves. Enough for his lunch. That's all he had. And what did he do? Evidently, he was willing to yield it to the Lord and give it to him to do what he wanted to with it. Can you imagine this little boy thinking, you know, Jesus wants this. He can have it. But what good's it going to do? Look at all these people here. I don't have hardly enough for myself. I just brought a little sack lunch. I don't have hardly anything, but I know that it won't amount to anything as far as all these people are concerned. In fact, Andrew said, "What? A, listen, but what are they among so many? He, he pointed out the fact that this is all the food there is, and what is this? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. I'm sure he wanted them down in an orderly fashion. You know, God says that everything should be done decently and in order. When he began to feed them, he didn't want everyone running up there and one before the other and this one saying, I didn't get anything. The other one said, I got a handful. No. The same thing in the, in the church. Every soul. You know, when the preacher preaches up here, every soul needs to be fed. I'm talking about young and old. The table needs to be spread so that everyone can eat. And I do my best to do that for everyone, boys and girls and men and women. But if you'll see, and if you're listening to this message tonight, it doesn't make any difference what age you are. You can be fed on God's Word if you're willing to receive it. Okay? So, here, can you imagine this little boy thinking about this? And yet being willing to yield it to Jesus. But Jesus wanted them to sit down in order. He says, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. An orderly fashion. And that's what we need. We need that in the church. The Bible tells us, Paul tells us in the Corinthians, let everything be done decently and in order. The Bible tells us that uh, God is not the author of confusion. He's not the author of it. The Bible says, only by pride cometh contention. So that means we need to be humble. And we will not have any contention. The Bible tells us to love the brethren. The Bible tells us that we need to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I believe that's in Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now then, so what we find here, now as they, they were seated down in order... And there was much grass in the place. In verse 11, And Jesus took the loaves. Now, the, the lad had to yield up the loaves, didn't he? Philip and Andrew had to be participant because they're the ones that mentioned this. And the rest of the disciples also were participating in this. And what did he do? Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples. He distributed what? What did He distribute? He didn't distribute a big 
Can you imagine how this was done? Jesus didn't take those five barley loaves and two small fishes and make a great big old pile of bread over here and a pile of fishes over here. Say, now you fellas take it. There's plenty here for everyone. He took those five little barley loaves and those two small fishes and He distributed that, that to the disciples. And there was a miraculous multiplication. Every time they handed out a fellow some of that for food, He had plenty. And then they still had enough to hand out the next guy. And they just kept handing it out, handing it out. And it just kept being there. It's kind of like the oil in the, in the cruise and the meal in the barrel. Every time the woman went there and the, for the oil, there was, more, there was still some oil there. It wasn't full and running over, but there was some there. And every time she went for that meal in the barrel, there was enough to make the next meal. You see, He mysteriously and miraculously fed them with the bread of life, which is typical and symbolical of Himself who is the bread of life. But He used all of these other instruments to do it. And He put, put the responsibility of feeding upon. When shall we buy bread? Give ye them to eat. The other passage in the other Gospel I gave you. When shall we buy bread? And then Philip, and then Andrew. And now He's distributing to the disciples, all of the disciples. And the disciples, to them that were set down. And likewise of the fishes. And they not only gave the bread, the loaves, but the fishes. As Now look at this. As much as they would. That means there was complete satisfaction. No one had any lack. Everyone was completely satisfied. By the way, if a person accepts Jesus as his Savior, he says, He that eateth this bread shall never hunger. Look over in this same chapter, verse 35. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. That means if you never hunger and you never thirst for what? Salvation. You're satisfied. We sing a song, Are you satisfied with Jesus? About being satisfied? Well, all of us, if we have received Christ as our Savior, there's a mysterious and miraculous satisfaction in our heart that only God can give. And someone might say, well, how, do you, how is it that you're satisfied with Jesus? I don't understand. But Jesus said, if you eat this bread and drink uh, the bread of life that I am, and drink the water of life, He says, you'll never hunger and you'll never thirst. When He saves you, He saves you with complete satisfaction. He gave the woman of Samaria in the fourth chapter living water and she went away satisfied. She left her water pot there and she went away into the city and said, come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. He told me about my sins, but he also gave me living water and all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ, the Messiah? And many believe because of the saying of the woman. She was an instrument there. She was a missionary and a witness immediately upon receiving Christ as her Savior. Here, notice what happened. As much as they would, this miracle, look how silent and miraculous, and yet with no fanfare, with no celebrity, with no great attention. It was just done so mysteriously and quietly and, and efficiently that someone could come along and say, well, you know how this happened? They couldn't even point out and say, this man, Jesus, he made a pile of loaves here and this and that. And all, look at all these people who were fed. They couldn't even do that because he did it without any fanfare. 
We have a world today. Listen, beloved, you can mark this down. In the ministry that is in for fanfare. They're in for recognition and showmanship. Boy, they get they get on the TV and they tromp all over that platform and stage and and put their thumbs under their arms and they do this kind of thing and that kind of thing. Some very sincere in what they're doing. But you don't have to dramatize all those things. You really don't have to do it. The Bible says that the gospel is the power. What is it? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. That's what it is. It doesn't have to be propped up by a celebrity. Nowadays, a lot of the big meetings, they think if you don't have a celebrity to back up what the preacher said, well, the, what the preacher said didn't amount to anything. You know? Because after all, you didn't have a, a real special celebrity up there to show that he's going to kind of confirm that he's with him. Well, if God be for us, what does it say? Who can be against us? And that's the real crux of the matter. That's the real answer to it all. Now look, when they were filled, when they were filled, He said unto His disciples, gather up the fragments that remain that nothing be lost. We're too wasteful too in the things of God, aren't we? We're too wasteful. Let's keep the things that, re- that are good and of value and not be tossing them away. And it says here that uh, the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Well, Jesus didn't need those fragments, the basket full. If He could, if he could feed the 5,000 beside women and children, as Matthew tells us, there was women and children. So we don't know how many was in that multitude. Can you imagine if there was 5,000 men, how many women and children would be there? A few. You can count on it. And then, can you imagine if Jesus could feed that many? Why He would need to to keep any leftovers at all. But He did it for a purpose. He wanted to show the disciples two or three lessons here. One thing is that He was not wasteful. And secondly, that there was provision for them. Therefore, they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets. The word basket sometimes is is uh, misleading because there's two or three different kinds of baskets. There's a little basket. And then there are hampers. These were hampers. We don't know how big a hamper is, but hamper indicates more than just a small uh, little bit of thing. But if there were 12 hampers full, when we think of a hamper of any kind, we think of it at least so big, don't we? You know, it's not just a tiny little basket. So however big it was, I haven't studied uh, to find out just the amount that these hampers contained. I'm sure there's information there if we want to look it up. But uh, anyway, every one of the disciples had provision for himself. Can you imagine these uh, disciples thinking, well, we fed all this multitude, now what are we going to do? Jesus said, you have plenty and running over. The Bible says, give and in what shall be given unto you good measure Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Shall men give unto your bosom? Doesn't say it says shall men give unto your bosom. Sometimes we talk about what all we don't have. Let's talk about how much we can give and then see how much we have. Because I guarantee you you can never outgive God. You try that. Put it to the test. And by the way, you put it to the test as far as giving your tithes and offerings. God says in the book of Malachi, and by the way, you don't have to go and take a Scripture out of its context to preach on tithing. Take the one that mentions tithing, right? 
The Bible says, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may, may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. He said, I'm going to do that for you if you'll do what I've asked you to do. In the New Testament, it teaches tithing. It says those that were in the Old Testament that lived of the things of the temple. And it says, even so hath God ordained that they which preach the gospel shall live of the gospel. So the monetary comes in to, to the church, to the preaching of the gospel. That's how we send out missionaries. That's how we support the church. That's how we pay the bills. That's how everything goes. And it's God's plan. And it's God's way of doing it. And He'll bless it. He'll bless the church that does it. And He'll bless the individual that does it in that form and fashion. Your life will be blessed. God has blessed me tremendously in my lifetime. And I know He will you and He has you. But let's remember, the more obedient we are to God's Word, the more we're open to the blessings that He will give us. Now, it says, Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with fragments of with the five barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. With the fragments of the five barley loaves. There was no waste. It says, Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. Who is that prophet that should come into the world? Moses spoke of a prophet. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, Moses says, Unto him shall you hearken. There was a prophecy. That's Deuteronomy 18 verse 15. But by the whole chapter is good because it tells about further things about prophet. But that's a special key verse. Deuteronomy 18.15 The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee of thy brethren. That's exactly where Jesus came from. And it says, Like unto me, unto him shall you hearken. This is that prophet that should come into the world. I want us to think of what really happened here to try to cap it off. When shall we buy bread that these may? This question helps us to see God has chosen human beings to be used in giving out the plan of salvation. We do that in the ladies and the Sunday school teachers when we have men Sunday school teachers, but the Sunday school teachers do that in the Sunday school classes. They give out the bread of life. They're human instruments. You do that when you uh, invite someone to the house of God. You do that when you tell them about Jesus. Wherever you may be. On land or sea. Just wherever you are. And you give out that message. And so he asks Philip. Philip turns to Andrew. And Andrew finds a lad with five barley loaves and two small fishes. Jesus gives thanks. He gives to the disciples, and the disciples give to the multitude, and they gather up the baskets of what's left over. And this means that the Lord has given us the job of giving the gospel, the bread of life, Christ is that bread of life, to a dying world. And everyone is to be involved. Notice how many people were involved. Philip, Andrew, the lad, the disciples. But now who does the miracle? Jesus does the miracle of it all. We don't save anyone. We don't really save anyone. We can give the message, but the Lord does the saving. Have you heard this business, we save souls? Well, we witness and God saves souls. That's the way it works. He has to do the saving. 
But isn't it a wonderful thing that God used... Who did He use? He used grown-ups. He used disciples. He used men that were well-trained. He used the little bread, the little fishes. And He used the young person, the little lad there. He uses everybody. And that's what a church is about. That's what we're all about. And every one of us, if we'll fill our place, men, women, boys, and girls, God will use us for His glory. Well, we can see that that miracle shows us the human instrumentality of salvation. That we have a responsibility to give out the bread of life. And that's why we assemble together. That's why we teach in our Sunday school. That's why we witness. That's why we invite people to the house of God. That's why we... uh, teach and preach the Word of God in our adult Sunday school, and that's why we preach the Gospel. And that's, that should be the purpose for it. And we trust God for the increase. The Bible says, Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So we're to be faithful in doing it. You know, we're to be faithful to the Lord. And let me say this before we close. Christians need to be learned to be faithful to their own local church.